Dear Lord, thank you for this Sunday morning that you've given us to come here together, your children, to worship you, to grow closer to you, to have a greater understanding, to walk in greater faith and love, and to understand how to navigate the times in which we live with you at the center of our lives. Teach us these things, Lord. Help us, heal us, empower us, love us, and prosper us. Teach us how you've already done these things for us, Lord, and how to walk in them in greater measure that we might help others. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work indeed. Interesting passage of scripture right there. Talking about hope. Something I minister about a lot because it's something that everyone needs. Hope for the Christian is a confident expectation of good from God. Not just wishing. It's a real thing, a tangible thing. Hope is what gives our faith a target, amen? So as the world teaches us not to get our hopes up, we, we preach quite the opposite in the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, it's essential that we get our hopes up. If we can't see it, if we can't envision it, then what are we gonna what's the target for our faith to be released toward? Amen. But you look around, you look at the times in which we live, you turn on the TV for for just a few minutes. And you see hopes being dashed left and right and real scenarios in which things absolutely seem hopeless, especially for others in other countries uh, of this world. There are Christians being killed left and right. Doesn't really make much on the mainstream media. You won't find it, but it's really happening. So how can we have hope? With so much bad in the world. What makes us special? In other words. And if you look at that passage of scripture. It reveals it. God who loved us. And gave us eternal comfort and good hope. Through grace. So grace is the key. God's grace is really God's ability available to us on an unearned basis. Isn't that awesome? Because we know all things are possible with God. And through the atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross, all that He has obtained for us is at our disposal and on account for us All things pertaining to life, this life, and godliness have already been given to us, granted. All the promises 
of God in Christ are yes and amen. So that's what makes us special. That's what that's the reason we can have a hope in any situation and circumstance. Because we have God, his ability, not just our own strength, working in our favor. The only limit to God's grace in our life is our faith. It's not the world. The world puts no limitations on you. You might think they do. They might think they do, but they don't. Other people have no authority over you. They can't restrict your life in any way. Neither can Satan. Unless you allow him. So it's our faith that limits us if we're limited. And we're all limited to some degree because we walk in different degrees or strength of faith. We all have the same measure of faith that was given to us. But it's up to us how we develop it and nurture it and strengthen it and decide to not live by sight, but live by faith, which we're called to. We're the only ones that can limit God's intervention in our affairs. Now, when you start hearing the truth like this, sometimes people can take it as a very uh, condemning message if they like to identify themselves as victims anyway. But to me, and as it should be to you, it's empowering. Because if, like, so many places are teaching erroneously, I might add, whatever's meant to be is meant to be. God's going to, whatever God wants is going to happen. Kesarasara, <laughs> which is wrong teaching. And it brings about wrong believing. And it brings about a passive Christianity that is powerless and feckless. But that's not the truth. It's a, it's a relationship, a partnership. And when Jesus sat down, because he was finished, he gave his authority to us and, and, and provided everything through spiritual and natural laws and by the account that we have, uh, which has all of the things that we'll ever need in that account. And we can make the withdrawals by faith all throughout the course of this life, working out the plan that he has for each and every one of us, which is different for each person. But that's empowering to know that no one has control over you except you. Amen? Amen. If you desire it, if you want it bad enough. I'll never forget, that's one of the dreams that God was right in my face Several nights in a row. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? And I knew exactly because I'd been asking for things and kind of moping around and feeling sorry for myself regarding the things of God and ministry and things like that. And the, the, the dream was really just to remind me of this, this teaching right here. It's, it's really up to you. But that's, you know, it's good news because if there's... If, if it's just whatever God wants is going to happen, well, then you're kind of helpless. But if you have a part to play, well, that's empowering. You know? 
We just need to learn to believe more in God's ability than in the devil's ability. A lot of people give Satan more credit than they do God. <laughs> By their stinking thinking. Look over Romans 5, 2. Just kind of prove this up as we go along. Amen. I want you to ever think I'm just making stuff up as I go along. <laughs> Romans chapter 5, verse 2. I'll start at the first verse. Therefore, since we have been justified, just as if I'd never sinned, by faith, there it is, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. You see? We have access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. Grace is everything that Jesus provided through the atonement. Not only the forgiveness of our sins, eternal life with Him, all the peace, love, and joy you'll ever need for this life, provision for every part of this life. And it's, it's physical and spiritual. Financial prosperity is part of it. It takes money to do the things that God has called you to do, to live and to, you know, poverty is, is, uh, is part of the curse. It's not from God. Disease and sickness is not from God. That's part of the curse. So all these things have been provided for us. And the first and most important essential part is for us to be taught these things properly. Undo some of the things we learned in church, maybe. I know it sounds like I'm against the church, but I'm not. I'm against wrong doctrine. Jesus said to the Pharisees of those days, who he called all kind of names. But he, he said, your, your, uh, your traditions and doctrines of men have made the word of God of no effect. And that's, that's the very place in which a lot of people are these days. But we have access into the grace of God that Jesus has provided through faith. And so no one can hinder it except us. It has everything to do with keeping ourselves in position to receive from God. And also to grow to a mature level to where we are mindful of our witness. There should be a time, a season, I guess, while we're developing as Christians, especially even if we've been in church all our lives, even if we've been going to church and, and doing the things we thought we were doing, but more found out that it was sort of a religious thing and we weren't really being discipled and we begin to come into these truths, no matter what stage of our life it is. There should be sort of a maybe a honeymoon period when it's mostly about us. We're growing and learning and finding out what has been provided for us and learning how to walk and talk it and, and receive from God. So we need to learn how to keep ourselves in position to receive from God, but also being mindful that it's not just about us. God is looking for, believe me, 
desperately, <laughs> if God could ever be desperate, but it's my description of the situation of the church that we really, really need Christians that walk it and talk it and live it. And in these final days, we're going to need Christians that are adorned with all the gifts of the Spirit. And you're going to see a time approaching where just as it was in the days with Moses, when he went to get the children of God out of bondage, they had, they had uh, false teachers there working for Pharaoh, didn't they? He, he threw down his staff and it became a snake. Well, they did the same thing. But they weren't working for God, were they? It, that was the powers of darkness that did that. The difference is, his snake gobbled up their snakes. And I believe that that's what we're going to be coming to in these final days because there's so many people that are deceived and they've gone and they've found teachers that will t tell them what their itching ears want to hear, just like it says in the Bible. And they've found places that call themselves the church of, of God, but they're not. Uh, this isn't everywhere. Of course, the, God has witnesses all over the world and the church is getting stronger and growing, really. You may not be seeing much of it in this country, but around the world, the church of God is growing exponentially and there are people walking in power and victory and light. But I believe we're coming to a time when it will be essential for the children of God, the disciples of God, to really be walking in power and victory because they're going to come times when it's going to be basically confronted with lies and deception and it's going to be well you throw down your staff and I'll throw down mine you know I'll stand by everything that I teach because I know that it's God who's taught me these things and has confirmed these things and and I believe that any time that it's necessary God will will uh, will step up and honor that word. I want to just read from 2 Samuel chapter 11 today. Y'all with me? Because this is important. And I, I just thought of this. Uh, talking about keeping ourselves in position to receive from God. And our witness and, and these things. And, and I just want to read a familiar passage of scripture this is David and, and Bathsheba and everybody uh, has heard this story at one time or another most of us and I want to show you something or a few things about this as we move on here I'm just going to start at the first of the chapter in the spring of the year this is second Samuel chapter 11 in the spring of the year the time when kings go out to battle David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. I want to say something about that. Because as we contemplate keeping ourselves in position to receive from God, remembering that all of the grace of God is for us. And that we're the only ones that can 
put ourselves out of position to receive from God. It's not God. It's not the devil. It's not the world. It's not people. It's us. So there's a part to play, a responsibility, a sort of reliability and faithfulness on our part that is necessary. And we need to be aware of the enemy's tactics because the Bible teaches us resist the devil and he will flee from you. I want to tell you this. The times in my life when I was the most susceptible to the enemy's devices were not the times when I was at my lowest point and struggling and seeking God. It was when I was at the top of my game or the top of the world, so to speak. A great example is right here with David so many years ago. It was the spring of the year, the times when kings go to battle. That's how the chapter starts out. But David sent everybody else and he stayed home. David was at the top of the world. He had struggled and strived. It was many years after he was anointed to be king of Israel before he actually became king of Israel. And more years before he actually got everything into place. And this is a time when he was actually in the capital in Jerusalem and everything was well. He was prospering and he had basically succeeded at the things God had called him to do. And he started taking some liberties. Instead of going out to battle like he should have been, should have been there to encourage and to to do like he'd always done, he decided this time he'd just stay home. Verse 2, It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. See, he's, he's being, <laughs> he should have been, he had some work to do. He should have been gone. Should have just been milling around, sleeping half the day. But he was, and because of that, He's on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. Top of the world, looking down. And the woman was very beautiful. Here comes the devil, right? And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not that Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers And took her and she came to him and he lay with her. After being told that it was the wife of one of his men and the daughter of somebody else that he knew. So they called them by name and he knew them. But he he laid with her anyway. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite, Joab's his general. And so he knew who Uriah was. He was one of his soldiers, a good one, a faithful one. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go back to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house, 
with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. David sent him home. He wanted him to go sleep with his wife right away, in other words, to cover this mess up. So it's, he's, he, he's, he's already sinned a lot and he's sinning more now. But this guy is faithful. This is a, a faithful soldier and he loves his king and he loves his country just like he loves his wife. Uriah didn't go to his house. David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house and eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. He didn't want to go relax and enjoy himself while his, his, his army, you know, that he fought for, his, his, his people were out there fighting and dying. Then David said to Uriah, remain here today also and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next and David invited him and he ate in his presence and drank and that he made him drunk. So he's going to try it again. This time he gets him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah, Joab's his general. And the letter, and he sent, he sent Uriah with it. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down. He sends him with a letter to the general, basically telling him to kill him. So faithful, obviously, he would never look at the letter. <clears throat> and as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were va valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. So he was killed just as they knew because he was a... He was a he was a valiant soldier. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting and he instructed the messenger, when you have finished telling all the news about the fighting of the king, if the king's anger arises, and if he says to you, why did you go so near the city to fight? Did, did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of... Long story short, he... They did things that they wouldn't even normally do. It, it, was, it, was, it was based on their experience. Yeah, it would have been a bad, a bad uh, plan to go that close chasing these men into the city because they know they had archers that were going to shoot. But he did that just to obey the king's order. And he got other men killed as well as Uriah. So his one small sin turned into a bunch. A bunch. And not only that, So he, they go and they tell Bathsheba that he died and she spends the time mourning and then David calls her to his, to his home and he makes her his wife and she has a, a baby, okay? But I want to tell you, chapter 12, I'll skip ahead. Nathan was the prophet to David in Israel at that time. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. 
He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there were, came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to eat. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against this man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord of God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would, have, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. And it goes on and on. And the Lord kills the child. Because of this. Now. Before. I go past that. I want to tell you. That. God is dealing with us. The same as he was back then. If you look at Hebrews. Chapter 8. Verse 6. It explains to you. That now because of Jesus. We have a better covenant. With better promises. And so. That was part of the curse. And that won't come upon us because Jesus bore the curse on his body on the tree. And now through faith in Jesus, we don't have to worry about God's judgment on us. Amen? Thank you, Lord. But the fact is that a lot of the things that happen, and God has never changed, by the way. He hasn't changed the way he feels about anything Jesus has just protected us from a lot of it. God is holy and he's never going to be okay with sin. David was at the top of the world, like I said, and he, he began to get lackadaisical and he let the enemy come and tempt him and, and one thing led to another and you see how it snowballed here and it, and it gets worse and worse because David not only did... Because God said he was going to visit this on him, his generation. And so he ended up, through that act of adultery and murder, that came into his family line. And one of his sons raped one of his, his, his stepsister, Tamar. And uh, then because of that, the other, another brother killed that brother. And uh, it caused great division in the family. And uh, even 
even uh, tried to overthrow his father's kingdom and slept with all of his wives, you see. So this went on and on and on, and it all started from that one, that one little thing. So this is what I meant about keeping ourselves in position to receive from God and being mindful of our witness. Because of that, because of that mistake that David had made, that sin that he had committed against a friend and a loyal soldier and against really God. All sorts of terrible things came into his family. He, he never was really a good father because of that, you know. Because when, when the one son raped Tamar, he, he didn't do anything to punish him really. And, hello, welcome. And so it made the others bitter. And, but you can imagine David's reluctance to punish something that he had been guilty of himself, you see. And so it made him a poor father. And then because of that, um, he wasn't a good father. Uh, and all sorts of terrible things came upon his family. From the one sin he had committed, it brought it into the family line. And so murder and betrayal and adultery and all those things just followed in snowball. Like I say, thank God for Jesus. Hebrews 8, 6, we have a better covenant with better promises. We don't have to worry about God coming and killing our children. He's not going to do that. As long as we have Jesus, we don't have to be a part of the curse. But we still need to keep ourselves in position to be able to receive from God. We have access into the grace of God through what? Faith. Faith. That's what it says in Romans 5 too. So David is a perfect example of how we can really just get off our game and just get complacent. He was at the top of the world. Everything had fallen into place for him finally. And he, instead of going out to fight with the army, as he always would have, he stayed home. And he was bored. And he was sleeping and walking around the roof. And he looked and saw this girl. And he began to entertain all these thoughts that he wouldn't have even had to do if he had been doing what he was supposed to be doing. So we want to always be mindful. And don't get off of our guard just because, because I think we're more susceptible to the attempts of the enemy when we're riding high than when we are really low and pressing into God and struggling. So we can't ever be uh, too complacent is the point there. We don't want to yield to Satan. Roman, look over in Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Because while God is not putting these things on us, there's still consequences to the things that we do. And I want to show you here in Romans chapter 6, verse... 16 Romans chapter 6 verse 16 Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves you are slaves to the one whom you obey either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness 
But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. This says that we are slave to whoever we obey. So if you follow after the, the ways of darkness, then you're going to be ensnared. In other words, you open doors for the enemy to come into your life and wreak havoc. Just like David did in that situation. Amen? And we don't want to open doors to the enemy. If we yield to Satan, then he's going to come in, eat our lunch, and pop the bag. <laughs> no doubt about that. There are consequences through the open doors to the enemy. Thank God we have a better covenant with better promises. And John 10.10, 10, Jesus was being accused, as he usually was, of having a demon. He said, no, wait a minute now. The thief, the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly, or to the full. So God's not the one who's going to judge us, but Satan will take advantage anytime we give him open doors. So we need to learn to believe for some crop failure, because by faith, we have access into the grace that God has provided through the atonement. Amen? And the only thing limiting our access... Or God's intervention in our affairs, which is always good, is our faith. Not the world, not others, not Satan. We have a part to play. And we just need to believe more in God's ability and willingness to work in our lives and on our behalf than we do in Satan. A lot of people say, oh, well, I don't give Satan any credit. Well, every time you talk negative, every time you have stinking thinking, every time you say how sick you are and... How broke you are and how angry you are. You're giving Satan the glory and you're letting him win those little battles. Amen. And you're effectively opening little doors for him to come in. And after a while, he will begin to reinforce those strongholds, those areas of your life where you've always given him access. You might be doing great. In, in some areas, you may, you may be a giver. God has taught you that the law of sowing and reaping, and you've seen that it works, and you're just great at that. But over here, when it comes to uh, bitterness and unforgiveness and the things that hinder us, God says, hey, if, you, if you're going to bring a gift, you get to the altar and you have something against your brother, or he has something against you, go make amends and then come back. That's how important he feels that's how important those things are and how strongly he feels about them. Remember last week we talked about the, uh, the parable of the unforgiving servant who was forgiven effectively millions and millions of dollars by the king because he was merciful to him because he had no ability to pay. And then this guy walks outside and chokes somebody who owes him a few dollars who's asking him for mercy and just a little time to pay. And so what God do to him or the king do to him, he puts him in the dungeon and says, you'll never get out until you repay every cent, which we know he never had the ability to do. Forgiveness is not an option for the children of God. That's why it, uh, I happened to catch something in the news yesterday, which was very disturbing, especially after preaching that message last week that uh, <clears throat> Michelle Obama has a new book out and she was talking about 
something about the president, uh, about President Trump, and how she would never forgive him for for something. And then he, they confront him with it in the news media, and he goes, "Well, I'd, how about this? I'll never forgive her husband for what he did to our military and this and that." And I'm like, "Oh, oh, oh, both of you! I'm going to get you over here. <laughs> We're going to talk. <laughs> I wish I had them both right here today." Because there's some things they need to understand. They both call themselves Christians. And uh, anyway, I believe it about one of them. Nevertheless, it's not for me to judge. Pray for both of them. Amen. First John. Let's look back there and we'll, we'll end back there. I want to just visit First John for a minute. Way back in the back, after First and Second Peter, see First, Second, Third John. This is not the Gospel of John, the Epistles of John. Back in the back, First John one seven says, "But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin." That's a that's a great passage of scripture. If we walk in the light, we have a fellowship with one another, with God. It's an intimacy. It's not just talking to one another. It's a it's an intimate relationship. And it's something that is ours just for the asking and the doing. Amen. It's a two-way street. Just like any relationship, but he's always going to stand good on his part of it. I'm reminded of a, a story about an elderly couple who was driving down the street one day. They had been married for many, many years. And she was all the way over up against the the door on her side of the car and he was driving. And a young couple came around them. They were sitting so close together they were like one person. So in love and affectionate. And a little tear ran down the older woman's face as she remembered all those years ago when they used to be that close. And she asked her husband, how come we're not like that anymore? They're so close together and in love and here we are so far apart. And the husband said, I haven't moved. It's kind of like that with us and God. We find ourselves sometimes asking, where are you, God? There's times I know in my life when they've just been firing all, all cylinders with God. Giving me dreams and visions and revelation and things. Just, just, just walking in the glory cloud for days on end, you know. Just so in love and knowing how loved I was with God and how close we were. And then other times I'm asking, where are you? But his answer is always the same. I haven't moved. 
Amos 3.3 says, how can two walk together lest they be agreed? And that's God talking to us. And truthfully, he, he can't change and agree with us. <clears throat> He's perfect. And he hasn't done anything wrong. And he hasn't taken his eyes off of us. And he hasn't gotten out of relationship with us. It's us sometimes that open these doors for the enemy. A lot of times it's just the cares of this world, you know. There's so much going on. And the enemy is always going to be competing for our time, our affection, our attention. Try to distract us. To cause us to doubt God's goodness. And he's just a liar. He's always been a liar. When he lies, he's just doing what comes natural to him. But when we start believing those lies and putting more confidence in what he says than what, the, when, than what God says is when we get out of, out of order. And so the light is always there for us once we have come to know the Lord. But we can choose to walk outside of the light. And the danger of that is that we may come to light with the darkness. That's why those who don't know God hate God because they love darkness. And He is light. And we don't want to ever go back. Amen. You know the stories. Jesus told lots of parables about things that uh, pertain to looking back or going back once you put your hands to the plow in the kingdom of God. The pillar of salt and all these things. But God hasn't changed. He's there for us. Look here in, in the same passage of Scripture, just a couple of verses down. I read verse 7. About walking in the light and having fellowship. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The good thing about God is that when he saved you, he already knew you. God is God is not in time like we are. Does that make sense? He created time, but he's not in time. It's already played out. All the history of man is already done from beginning to end in the mind of God and it's already so He's, he's with us now as we're going through it. But he's also already been through it with us. <laughs> That's why when these, these people, they, they drive themselves crazy. When, if, God, if there's a God, then, then where did he come from? When, did he, where was he, when was he born? And all these things. That's crazy. We don't serve a God that's limited by those things. That's science. Time, space, and matter, right? All of those things he dealt with in the first few words of the Bible. In the beginning, there's time. God created the heavens, there's space. And the earth, there's matter. 
<laughs> He's not controlled by those things. He created those things. But He forgave us all of our sins, past, present, and future. And now it's our conscience that gets defiled when we do the things that we know we shouldn't, when we don't pray, when we don't fellowship with God, when we don't effectively walk in the light. But it says here, if we just go to Him, and people think that they need to get on their knees and they need to speak in the King James English and, oh God. But I encourage people just to talk to Him like you would your best friend because that's who He is. I can't tell you how many times a week I'm saying, Lord God, I'm sorry. I dropped the ball right there. I messed it up again. For the 50th time this month, I did the same darn thing. A lot of it has to do with driving. They should just not let me out on the street when people are acting stupid. (laughs) But he's going to keep letting me be tested right there until I get it right. But you know what? I always run right back to him. I apologize. And I say, Lord, I'm sorry. And you know, he doesn't want us to keep talking about that and bringing it up. He, he forgives and he forgets. And knowing that is very helpful because it just helps us to be cleansed and to know that we're forgiven and just to fellowship with him again. You know, if I do something against James or against Tavana or... or or something, or say something, or I know I should have done something. I, you know, if I have something on my mind, and you know it, and I know it, and I just refuse to address it, that's not a good thing. You know, I come from a family like that. I think a lot of us had uh, the old folks were like that a lot. They'd tear each other up, and they'd do all kind of terrible things, have knockdown, drag out, and then they'd just stay away from each other for a while, and then. Maybe after a certain amount of time, depending on how bad it was, they just see, they get together again on Thanksgiving or Christmas. They just act like it never happened. And uh, that's not very healthy, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> Maybe that's why, you know, I thought uh, all the police uh, officers in our town were our relatives because they were at all our family events, you know. <laughs> point is just get back in the light <clears throat> repent you know repent get back in the light and get back into fellowship with God look just a couple pages over right here uh, see the third chapter first John 3 verse 3 I like the correlation between the gospel of John 3 3 which is where he tells Nicodemus that you have to be born again or you're not going to see the kingdom of God and right here in first John 3 3 He says, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. What John is saying here is that is that if we really love the Lord and we've been redeemed. And so what that means is that we we receive the free gift of salvation. We know that we've been forgiven for our sins. We know our eternal destiny is with him in heaven and this hope. Of his return, this 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 knowing, this confident expectation of good from God. If if you really have that in you, then it's going to bring about a desire in you to 
to uh, to be like him. And he's he's holy. Amen. So it says everyone that really has this hope in themselves purifies themselves as he is pure. So, you know, it feels good when we do good, doesn't it? And, you know, even though I said we have a better covenant with better promises, Jesus bore the curse on his body on the tree. And so there's a lot of things that we're protected from. When you read the old covenant, which I recommend that you do just like you do the new covenant. But every once in a while you ought to go, oh, my God, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that I'm redeemed from the curse of the law. They had some crazy stuff going on back then. Guy was killed for picking up sticks. The day that that uh, the manna stopped falling. Nevertheless, we have it good now. We have a good God, and we the the mystery of God, the secret of God was Jesus, and He's been revealed to us now. We know Him, we have Him, and there's just to fellowship with God. And be close with God is the greatest thing there is. And it's something that's very real and attainable. Matter of fact, people think eternal life means going to heaven. That's that's one of the benefits for sure. But he says right here in John 17, 3, Jesus was praying on that faithful night. And he said, Father, this is eternal life. Like he needs to tell the Father... Explain to him what eternal life is? No, he was saying it out loud for the benefit of the disciples and for us today. He said, this is eternal life. That they know you, the one true God, and your son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life starts at the moment of salvation. The moment we receive Jesus as our Lord and King, we receive eternal life. It's in you now. And... The very definition given by the Lord is knowing Him. That's eternal life. Knowing the Father and the Son. And this word knowing that He used in the Bible is the same word that they used in Genesis when it said, Adam knew Eve and they conceived a child. It's an intimate, passionate relationship. Not a sexual one, but, but it's, a, it's a great intimacy, a friendship, a kinship, a fellowship. With God, that is something that He desires. It's really the meaning of life. It's the whole reason for us being here. So anyway, that's the that's the message for today. Is that we can have hope, no matter what's going on around us. The harder things get in this world, what makes us special is the grace of God. And we have access into the grace of God. Everything that's been provided through the atonement. Peace, love, joy. Prosperity, health. Forgiveness. Relationship with God. The power of God. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And gives life to your mortal body. You're supernatural. The key to obtaining it, to getting out of this spiritual realm where it is. Six inches from where you pray is believing. Speaking, believing it. Believing more in the willingness and the power of God to work in your life. 
than you do in what the devil is trying to achieve. That faith is the the hand that we use to reach out and obtain the grace that has already been provided for us. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Anything that you have in your heart and mind and the hope that God has given you for good things for you and for those around you, the answers are yes. Anything that we have prayed according to God's will, we know that we have received. It's just a kingdom of opposites. It's not like the world teaches. Mark eleven twenty four. Jesus explains. When you pray, believe that you have received what you're praying for and you will have it. <laughs> he says, how can I believe I've received it if I'm going to get it? That's just how it works. And I can't tell you how many people I've seen well. I say, you know, God wants you. God wants you well. I hope so. And I have to explain to them that's not hope. That's not hope in the kingdom of God. Our hope is a confident expectation of good from God. Knowing the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. Amen? So let's keep ourselves in position to receive all that God has provided through the grace of God. Don't open doors for the devil. Partly for us, because God wants us healed. He wants us empowered. And He wants us to know the love He has for us and to prosper in every way. Beloved, I wish that that thou mayest prosper and be in good health, even as thy soul prospers. See the correlation, though? Our mind, our will, and emotions need to be right there with Him. We need to be trusting in Him and believing. And when we get out of step with that, let's get back in. It's It's that simple. God is not complicated. We make it complicated because we try to fit Him into the things that we want. The way that we want. And when we lay all that aside and just say, Lord, I'm tired of trying to do it my way. I just, I surrender. You know that song, I Surrender All? Nothing more powerful than just a surrendered vessel Because what he has is way better than what you are clinging to that you're refusing to let go of. Amen? Lord, we thank you for this precious word, a reminder of your love and grace and the faith, the measure of faith that you've given to all of us. And that we have a part to play in strengthening and using that faith to reach out and obtain the things that Jesus has provided through the atonement. We thank you, Lord, that you love us the way you do. And we just ask that you begin to use us to make us strong in the things of God, to make us confident in the things of God, that we may profit from all of the provision that you have made for us in our bodies, in our relationships, in our minds, in our work, and in the ministry of the kingdom of God. Help us to 
be strengthened in all areas of our life, trusting in you that we may begin to expand the work of the ministry, to reach out and to be effective in this area. In Cyprus, let us be effective as a beacon of light, as an ark of, of fellowship and love in a place where people can come to grow in the knowledge of you and be loved by your children and to find a place to serve and to seek you. Help us, Lord, to send all the people that you would choose, people that love you, and have a desire to undergird this ministry and the vision of this house. Help us to prosper in all the things that you have for us, Lord, and to know your will and to agree with you, Lord, and to lay aside all the things that hinder and to close all the doors that we have effectively opened for the enemy to come into our lives and to steal, kill, and destroy. Thank you for loving us so much, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.